I'm Joel, by the way. I'm a transformed follower of Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody ready to jump into the Word of God? That's what we get to do here at Chapel Point. Open up Scripture and do it. If you don't know, um, some of you have been coming here for maybe years, didn't recognize me. Because why? I have a hat on. And my wife says that I look 16 with a hat on. Does anybody else think I look that young? Yeah, you need to know Jesus. Um, I know that I don't, but I don't wear hats typically. In fact, people look at me when I wear a hat, and they're like, what happened? Like, did you mess your hair up? Like, what took place? Um, but I do. I, I feel that I look um, at least six months younger than I, I, I normally do when I put a hat on. Um, if you want to see me look really young, check it out. You do this number. You remember this one? It's like the cool thing to do. Like my kids are like, you should throw a backpack on and go to school, Dad. And, uh, and then I kick them out. And, and I, yeah, it just changes your appearance, doesn't it? Like, don't ever, if you ever see me wearing a hat like this, tackle me, remove the hat, and tell me never to do, do it again. Is that an agreement? Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things where um, a hat, it changes the way you look. I mean, I was going to bring, bring even out the sombrero, um, and the cowboy hat, and I could throw on some cowboy boots, and very, very much looked up. That's weird. I, I said boots, and someone's yelling. That's cool. Um, no, you know, it's just fun because you change your appearance. And it's one of the things that we get to talk about today. If you have encountered the love of an almighty God, demonstrated in Him giving His Son for the propitiation of your sins, the substitution of your sin, if you, have, if you get that, you look different to everybody else. There's no, hey, listen, my life looks the same, but what God did for me in the giving of his son is pretty cool, so I'm going to take that, but then I'm going to live according to what I do, and I actually don't look any different. You look different, right? All of a sudden, that's what happens. You look different. The, 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 the difference is so noticeable that others have to acknowledge it. And today we're diving in. 1 John chapter 4. Can I invite you to open up the Word of God to 1 John chapter 4? We're going to finish up 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21 today. And then the next couple of weeks we're going to do 1 John chapter 5. Uh, and we'll finish up with First John, and then the next week is when we begin the series Speak, and that's going to be seven weeks long. We're going to uh, be able to walk through a lot of these, these things that are happening in the world today. All we're doing, you just need to know, and this is true with the series Speak, but it's also true in terms of every single time we open up Scripture together. This is our responsibility, is to take anything, no matter what it is, and to pour it through this. Whatever comes out of this is truth. We don't add to it. We don't subtract from it. This is the perfect word of God. We got to get that. We got to get that. So today we get to jump in and understand that the perfect love of God, and I'll just cut to the chase to make sure you understand everything that's, that's there. The perfect love of God defines the life of those who abide in him. This is, the, this is what we're going to be talking about today. I'm, just, I'm telling you the punchline right now. The perfect love of God 
It defines you. It changes the way you look to other people, the way you speak, the way you make decisions, the way you handle conflict, the way that you approach any situation with work or school, relationships, it doesn't matter what it is. When the perfect love of God jumps into your life, it now defines your life. And it defines the life of those who abide in him. Because we know that John, he just keeps hitting that word abide, 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 abide. To allow God to dwell with you. But you're also going to say, see today, he wants you to dwell with him as well. So the perfect love of God defines the life of those who abide in him. It changes the way you look to other people. Now, before we go any further, I want to make sure that we... Um, understand what's taking place first john chapter 4 when you look at 7 through 21 really the entire chapter but this is how i'm going to break up the passage today to help you understand it i would encourage you to write this in your in the bible if you need to but really when you look here in this passage verses 7 through 12 it's god's it's really going to help us see a picture of god's character and how he is love and what does that mean for him so here's God's character and who he is with love. And then after that, what you're going to see in 13 through 21 is really now the godly requirement. So God's character and with love, and then now God's requirement. That's how I would look at this passage. I'm trying to simplify it as much as I possibly can. We want you to walk out of here and go, I can read the Bible and get it. So you're going to see God's character, and then you're going to go God's requirement for those who profess that, that to be truth. And how that's going to impact our life and how that has to play forward. So God's character of love. And, and the, the struggle that we're having today is that we, you often, um, you hear, even from the word of God, you're going to see it. God is what? God is, okay, one more time. God is, okay. And then you also hear, but loving is God. Is it true that to love is God? Yes. That's what's happening in our society today. That's, there's truth. Here's the problem with it, though. Here's where you get in trouble. But when you go from God is love to love is God, to love is godly, that's only sharing one characteristic of who God is, not every characteristic of who God is. So is God love? Yes or no? But is he only that? He's also justice. He's also forgiveness, which is one way to demonstrate that love. He's also somebody who has given us an opportunity to see what he has that is best for us. So what we see happening in the spiritual and the cultural and the societal landscape today is that we go, oh yeah, but you just got to love everybody. No, 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 no. God tells us what it is though in terms of what it is to, and how to love other people. And that's going to be something, that's something that we are wrestling with as a society. That's what churches, right? That's what churches are wrestling with. And so here's a church chapel point. We're going to say God is love. The word of God says God is love. And to love is godly, but there's also other things that come into play to that. He's not limited by anything. He is God. So we get to unpack all of that. Because love doesn't define everything in the character of God. When most people use the term love, they're just thinking, they're not thinking of the God type of love. They're thinking about just be nice. Well, God was nice in giving his son, but he was far more than nice. 
So this is what I would like us to do real quick. I'm going to try my best to give us a very simple definition of both godly love and then also worldly love. So you, might, you may want to get this down because I'm, I'm trying really hard to give you language because it is time for the church to speak. So worldly definition of love. Let me hit this first. Worldly definition of love. Um, you'll see it right here. Sacrificing a relationship with God. Now remember, this is worldly definition of love. You're willing to sacrifice a relationship with God to meet the needs of self or the needs of others because of a desire for temporary pleasure. And when I say temporary pleasure, that temporary pleasure can even mean to avoid conflict. That's a temporary thing. Hey, it's easier to accept this in order to avoid that. It's easier to embrace this so that I can avoid this conversation. And so the worldly definition of love is, hey, guys, you're going to sacrifice relationships with God. That's not, this isn't primary. What is primary are the emotions and the feelings of someone else and what they desire. And so that's a worldly definition of love. Let's go to a biblical definition of love. I'm not saying this is full in its entirety. I'm not saying that's everything. I'm just trying to very best to give us a good place to work from, okay? Biblical definition of love, sacrificing self to abide fully with God. So, See the difference already? So one is sacrificing a relationship with God to meet the needs of self. This is sacrificing self to abide fully with God to meet the needs of others because of the love received from him. So a biblical understanding of love is you know what God has done. You're about to see it in giving his son as propitiation for your sin. And this is part of the definition, the understanding of what love is. And because you see that, you're not willing to abandon anything of God. And you want to make sure that you reflect who he is. So there is a difference in the worldly definition of love and a biblical definition of love. This needs to be spoken about more and more. We need to run to scripture and say, how does God define love? So let's go ahead and jump in, beginning with verse, 12, uh, verse 7, excuse me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Let's jump into this right now. And this is how it reads. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is what? You're going to have to participate today, my friends. You're in the 10 o'clock service. Let's be honest. Everybody wants to be in the 10 o'clock service. For some reason, God let you in. So that means you have to participate. Because the first service was full. And they're all like, oh, there's 10 o'clock people. I'm just kidding. They weren't saying that at all. But I was just because I like to see the conflict. It's fun. Um, so you're going to have to help me out. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is... And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because what? God is love. Yes. God is love. But just know that when you say to love is godly, yes, that's true. But that's only one characteristic of what that means. There's more to it than that. We have dumbed down so much today in, ter in terms of understanding who God is. It is ridiculous. Can we start going to Scripture so that we can learn who God is, reflect His love, and speak on His behalf? That's what we want to do. 
So when we unpack this, we see this love that is imparted on the life of the believer when they are born of God. It causes you to look different. A love that is imparted on the believer, all of a sudden, it's just that noticeable. Right? And I was going to even do more things. Like yesterday, I was truly, I was like, who does henna? You know what that is? Like those temporary tattoos. I was like, get a giant tattoo on my face, of a, like a portrait of my wife. I think you would have noticed that. Some of you would have been jealous, maybe. I don't know. Let's just say, praise God, after God gave me a little bit of discernment, I didn't do that. So God does speak. Um, and he said, don't do that. Instead, I said, I'll just get a baseball hat. And I think about it, like all of a sudden, this love that is imparted on us, when you embrace who he is, you do look differently to people. Can I, can I, challenge, can I challenge you a little bit to ask yourself, do you truly look differently to people outside of, yeah, but I, on Sunday mornings, we just do different things. I mean, the difference is to be so significant. Do you actually look different? A love is imparted on the life of the believer when they are born of God. And it's something that you didn't have previously. It's something that you didn't have before. A non-believer, and I know that the majority of people that I preach to, whether online or in this place, the majority are people who claim to know Jesus. Not all, but the majority. And you cannot know the love of God, right? And then not want to impart that on other people. And being transformed by God, that's that sanctification that we speak about. Scripture talks about it all the time. We always run to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We know that that transformation is a continual process. And so as we grow in Him, we look more and more different. Right? All of a sudden you come to know Jesus Christ and, and you're like, boom, I look different. My life is different. I speak different. He's radically impacted everything about me. And as you continue to grow, everything else starts to change. That's why John can say so boldly, verse 8, right? He who does not love does not know God. He who does not love does not know God. So when we start to unpack this character, he's, he's going to let us know who he really is. And it's also a reminder, guys, we, we, we do not love in order to earn God's love. Hear me say this. Right? We do not love in order to earn God's love. We love one another because we are loved by God. We've received his love, and we strive, strive to live a life in response to his love. And he's going he's to unfold that for us right now when he says, in verse 9 through 11, he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So I told you, he's going to paint a picture of who God is with love, a character of who he is, right? And it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. To be made manifest. He is now dwelling with us through his son, Jesus. That's what he's going to say. He's made manifest among us in the fact that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the substitution for our sins, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right, so this is all based on the understanding of this is how God is love, that he would give his son for us, that all who profess faith in him, confess faith in him, that, that declare who he is, can have eternal life. And in understanding that, so we love others not because we're trying to earn it, we can't earn it to begin with, but because we're so overwhelmed by it, our life can't help but to look different. It, 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 there's something, it, there's no ability out there to say, I know, I'll know the love of God, and yet I'm going to remain the same. And this passage, the very first verse here in verse 9, I just want to make sure that we're understanding this. This is the love of God made manifest among us that his son, right, was given to the world, sent his son into the world, sent his son into the world, didn't have to, chose to, sent his son into the world, physical form, full humanity, full deity. Why? Listen to the end of this verse. It just, it just leapt off the pages. I'm reading through this over and over. So that we might live through him. Now, God, uh, you have to recognize Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God gives us Holy Spirit. Even Christ spoke of this very often in the Gospels. Hey, I'm going to leave this gift to you. Speak of Holy Spirit that speaks to us. God is with us today. He dwells within us. But now it says so that what? We might live through him. That's the experience. That's the intimacy that we're speaking about with God. It's such a cool way to think about the Christian life, to live through him. He's a propitiation for our sins, substitution, and that brings life to all who trust in Jesus. He's like, listen, I know. Listen, no one's ever seen God. This is verse 12. He says it. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Yeah, nobody's ever seen God, but God gave us Holy Spirit. God gives us himself, not just so that he comes into the world, here's my son, die for you, but that now we live through him and in him and in an intimate relationship with him so that we can better what? Have his love perfected in us so that we can now show that love to other people. It's a powerful thing that I think we have neglected. God's love has been perfected in us. And that word perfect, perfected, right? And also other words, um, when you look at the Greek, it can also mean complete. So God's love has been made complete in us. It can also be made, it can say, uh, mean matured. So God, God's love has been matured within you, right? You've grown in it. So when we say that transformation is not a one-time event, it's a continual process. We're maturing in that. And so as a result of that maturing, the way we are choosing to love other people, it changes. You can't grow in your experience of God without also growing in your love for others. Do I need to say this again? Don't even answer. I'll just say it again. You can't grow in your experience of God without growing in your love for others.
That's why we, we often speak language that the, mar- the maturing, not the mature, because we've got to be careful. This is talking about maturing in him. The maturing Christian is marked by a sacrificial love. That's how it's made complete. That's how it's perfected within us. And that's the abiding in him. So he's painting this picture. This is what love is for me. This is what love is, guys. And then he says, so this is how I want to make sure you show this love to other people. Verse 13, 14, and 15. Let's look at that. 13, 14, and 15, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. There's that word abide again constantly in the Gospel of John, but also here. He's using the same language to abide, to allow God to dwell, but also that we dwell with him. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, when we're looking at this passage here, there's a lot that has to be uh, unfolded. One, when we're abiding in Jesus, it's not a one-sided affair. When we talk about abiding with him, it's both ways. He desires to abide in us. We should be desiring to abide in him, to know him more intimately, to know him more personally. But when I'm reading this, listen to what it says. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. A week ago, I was able to preach about... Who are you listening to? Who are you giving voice to? Right, I'll go ahead and tell you, um, I basically don't turn the TV on anymore. I have a couple of sites that I go to that are supposed to be neutral or to try to, I'm trying to discern, let's be honest, any remote resemblance of honesty out there to go, who should, whose voice should I be listening to? And one of the ways that we know who we should be listening to is it tells us very clearly that we should be listening to those first and foremost who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And now he comes back and he mentions that again. So whenever th- when anything is pressed and, and on repeat, you should pay attention. Right? If I tell my kids something, right, I'm the guy who makes my kids repeat back. I'm like, hey, go clean your room, okay? They're like, okay, okay. I'm like, what did I say? I don't know. Anybody else? I mean, it's only one of my kids. The other three are perfect. I'm not going to say which one, so it doesn't matter. It's all good. And then I say again, hey, and, and go clean, go straighten up your room. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. They don't go do it, right? It doesn't really matter. I don't care what their excuse is, right? It's, we're the same with God. We need to understand that if we are abiding with him, we're listening to him. We're listening to him and obeying him. And here's what's so amazing about this. It says to confess. Here's, here's the, I want to share with you the idea behind the word confess. Like, why do I have to confess? Are you confessing that Jesus Christ is your savior? I'm blown away by the timidity of people who claim to know Jesus to share Jesus. I'm not trying to be rude, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm blown away by it. The idea behind the word confess is also to be in agreement with. To be in agreement with. Please write this down. Like, just 
again, you know how to entertain me. Like, act like it. Even if you don't have a pen in your hand, just act like you're writing it down. It makes me feel good. The reason I'm mentioning that is because here he is. He's calling out if anyone acknowledges, confesses Jesus is the Son of God, confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. We get this, right? And so when we understand this confessing, what we have to know is this also. You have to ask yourself, are you in agreement with God in terms of who he is and what he has done? Because the two are linked together. If you're confessing Christ in the way that you live life, it's because you are in agreement with who God is, who he is in terms of love, what he has done through the giving of his son. You are in agreement with him. The reason so many are refusing or are or intimidated to share and to profess Jesus Christ is because if we're honest today in the church, there are some things that we don't agree with God about. And so you have to make a decision on whether or not you agree in the word of God. And so the challenge is this, is to actually go home today and talk to a friend, talk to a a neighbor, call somebody up, whatever you got to do, and say, hey, is there something in your life that you disagree with God about? Can we just be honest about it? It, That would help us grow to to experience greater transformation if we can be honest and to share that with other people. Do you agree with God with everything? I didn't didn't say you understand God with everything. Very nicely what I'd like to tell all of us is that ain't going to happen. But do you agree with God? The confusion today is, let's be honest, some of us just simply disagree with God. Do I I need to go down the road of how arrogant and pompous and prideful that is? You see, there's there's our tension. Is that if we're saying that we agree with God that this is... That he is love. God is love. He showed his love in this way. And then all of a sudden he says, well, then this is how, if you receive that, you know that my ways are greater than your ways. My thoughts are greater than your thoughts, etc. And so then as a result of that, you want to be obedient to the fullness of this because I've given this to you. And then we go, yeah, but I don't like that part. You're following me, Yeah. Verse 16 and following says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Right? We look at this. Tells us in verse 17, when we look at this passage, it says, by this love is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. What he's saying is this. Listen, guys. If you, can, if you really recognize God is love and what he has done for you, and if you're confessing that, you get to come one day before God. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be fearful in, in front of him. You can have confidence because you have assurance in who Jesus was, and you've confessed that with your life. Isn't that good? Right? This isn't going in front of the principal and going, oh no, how many lashes am I going to get, right? And I knew that as a child. I often visited the principal's office. And back then, that whole no spanking thing, uh-uh, didn't exist. Right? I had 
right? The, the baseball bat that somehow they made flat and drill, drilled holes in it. Anybody else? That was me. I helped them. I gave them reason to invent that. That's not how you approach the Father. That's not how you have to approach God in the time of judgment. You now can walk in confidence. You don't have to worry about it anymore because you understand the power of his love and that perfect love that he's talking about. He says it drives out fear. We can have boldness in the day of judgment because we have no fear. We have nothing to worry about. He says, by this is love perfected with us so that we have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, is so, also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And when what we recognize here is that when godly love is present, Fear has no choice but to flee. Please make sure you get this. When godly love is present, fear has no choice but to flee, to run, to put on its go shoes and to get out. That's the power of the love of God. Sadly, we disagree, I think, sometimes with God, and so we have not fully been perfected by his love. I am often frustrated with what higher education and certain pastors have done to the beauty of this word. And I'm frustrated because God called together a bunch of common people and he said, this is my love for you. Will you follow me? And they said, yeah, we're all in. And they looked completely different for the rest of their life. I think today we look at God and what he has done through the giving of his son for the propitiation of our sins. And we go, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. How arrogant of us. I'm not saying questions are bad. But if you recognize the love of God and what he has done for us. And then basically argue that while still somewhat trying to confess it. We are lesser for it. When we look more at this passage, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, I told you, here's God's character at the beginning, and now he's going requirement, right? This is what we should be living. This is what we should be doing. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's a powerful 
thing to evaluate something so basic. I think everybody, when we walked into this room today, we would say, well, I already know what love is. I already know what godly love is. And yet here's God going, no, if you know what godly love is and understand what that meant for me giving my son, and now I'm saying now that same love of being humiliated, right? He humbled himself so that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now that same type of love that is so sacrificial, that is so giving, that is so powerful, I want that same love to be perfected in you. And as a result of that, you can't hate a brother because you even see the non-believer differently. Right? You see the non-believer as somebody you just go, man, I just so badly want them to know freedom. For those who don't claim to know Jesus Christ, I don't expect them to reflect Jesus Christ. And you can put on whatever hat you want to. Some people have done this. They put on a hat and they're like, okay, social justice. <laughs> Woo, here we go. Other people have taken it and they've got a different hat. They're like, hey, man, just be nice, be kind. That's what it is. That's the answer to life. Other people, they take a hat and they're like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Is here's a hat of just Gnosticism, of knowledge. And I'm just going to make sure that I'm smarter than everybody else so that when I die, I still know that I'm cooler. Or some of you have taken a hat and you're like, you know, I just, I don't, I'm just going to ignore all of it. So I'm going to put on the hat of apathy or complacency. That's what I'm going to be known for. I am Switzerland. If you don't know why I said that, we'll talk later. I'm inviting you to examine if you've put on the hat that says, I know Jesus. To have the courage to say, you know what? Yeah, there are some things that maybe I disagree with God about. And I need to take that up with God because this is what's going to rule my life. We love him because he first loved us. going to love other people with the same love he loves us which also means truth to be spoken which also means accountability John 13 35 by this all men will know if you're my disciple if what if you love one another so I want to challenge you with a Two or three things, just real quick, if you could jot these down. Two or three questions or statements for you to kind of ponder, um, to give you something to do this next week. Hopefully with a friend this afternoon. Acknowledge whether or not you disagree. This is the first thing I'm asking of you. Acknowledge if you disagree with God about something. And then I'm going to invite you to go to Scripture to discover where you should actually stand. All right, I'll give you some examples. I'll give you some examples. Some of us disagree on idols. Some of, some of us disagree on lying, right? Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, 10 commandments. Do not lie. And we're lying all the time. So if, if, if you know God is saying, hey, 
don't do this and you continually do it, what you're saying is, I just disagree with you about it. I'm going to do what I want to do. Sexuality is another thing. We just say, you know what, we just disagree on that part. I can't tell you how many people I know just said, you know what, we just disagree with Scripture on that. No, either you, there's no partial believing in the truth of God. It's either you believe it or you don't. Because then it's just up in the air for everybody to define it however they want to define it. And so we have all these different issues. And if we're honest with ourselves, we just disagree with God. I mean, I'm, I'm calling out some crazy pride and crazy arrogance in that. Can I invite you to examine, do you disagree with God on something? And if you do, go to Scripture. And then in that, you're going to have to be forced to deal with the fact of, do you actually believe in His Word? Do you believe in the fullness of who He is? Or do you not? I'd love for you to examine, how will you abide with God more closely this week? Right? To, to abide with him means to dwell with him, to sit with him, to be saturated by him, and it's both ways. How will you choose to do that? Maybe for some of you, acknowledge it. Hold each other accountable. Say, hey, I'm going to jump in for five minutes of scripture every day. Or go, with, go to a friend and say, let's just read First John together next week. There's five chapters. We're going to read a chapter a day for the next five days. Hold each other accountable to it just to relive in the word of God. And that for some of you, that will be a great place to start. And then finally, I'd like to invite you to examine what you need to be sacrificing in order to abide more closely with him. He painted a picture of what godly love is. He says, I'm going to give you my son, right? So he can sacrifice his life for you. So if that's the picture we're to paint, what do we need to be sacrificing in order to walk more closely with him? We love him. He first loved us. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We acknowledge that you are king, that you are Lord. We give you thanks, God, of the sacrifice that you gave your son for us. May we absorb that love. Now may we also be perfected by that love. And may we strive to represent you, to look different. God, I pray that you would humble us in those areas in which we actually just disagree with you and we haven't taken that up with you. May we have the courage to do so, so that we may then grow closer to understanding the perfection of your love in our life, so that we can look different in a broken, hurting, dark world, so that we can shine the light of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would impact these friends of mine, that we stand fully, that we stand confidently, that we stand with assurance in who you are and what you have done. In Christ's name.